podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. For those of you that don't know me, I am uh, Rachel and I have the absolute honour and privilege to be speaking to you this morning on Jesus' challenge on where our allegiance lies. In other words, who or what is our first love? The thing or person we trust in most. As we explore the passage, I urge you to keep asking the Holy Spirit to reveal what has your heart or who has your heart. I'm going to look at this in three different sections and I'll be talking about three Ps. Now, usually I do talk about three Ps in the context of the management of natural hazards, earthquakes, volcanoes, etc. So I've actually nicknamed these the three Ps of spiritual hazards, power, people, possessions. So just a bit of background. Uh, at the start of Mark 10, we see that Jesus is in Judea uh, and has been challenged by the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, on the question of divorce. He then has to rebuke his disciples uh, for stopping uh, people bringing their children to him. But Jesus says instead that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these children. What is it that Jesus is getting at here? Well, children trust easily and there is real beauty in the honesty and humility of a child and we would do well to learn from them. Jesus then started to move on, which is where we now pick up the narrative, an instant noted also in the books of Matthew and Luke. So we're going to read Mark chapter 10 and verses 17 to 31. So if you have your Bibles with you, or your phone app in the age of technology. There we go. It is on the screen as well. As Jesus started on his way, a man went up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud and honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So let's start by looking at the approach of the rich young ruler. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage before, but on coming to it again in preparation for this talk, I noticed something that actually I'd never really paid any attention to. He ran and fell at the feet of Jesus. So great was his desperation that he threw aside dignity and status to come and fall at the feet of Jesus, who theologian Barclay describes as a penniless prophet from Nazareth, who is already on his way to becoming an outlaw. He could have stayed on the edges, tried to catch Jesus uh, at a more opportune moment. He could have missed out the, the opportunity altogether. How often are we so desperate for Jesus that we are willing to lay aside our dignity and our street cred, to not wait for a more convenient time? Is our pride and status getting in the way? Power, if you will. I know it does for me sometimes. By worldly standards, this guy had everything. He had wealth, as we see in verse 22. He can, we can suppose that he's been successful in his career. He probably he had an entourage of fans. In this world, he was the man. He had made it. But something wasn't right, and he knew it. Billy Graham, the great evangelist of the 20th century, suggests, like so many people in today's society, he had gotten into a place of real dissatisfaction in life. All he had just wasn't doing it for him. He had that deep sense of there must be more to life than this. Perhaps you know how he feels. Perhaps you feel that right now. In a sense, the rich young man came to the right person, the only one who can bring that satisfaction in life, which we all long for. Jesus himself says that he is the water of life in John 4, verse 14, and that he comes to bring life in all its fullness, John 10.10. 10. So I ask, who or what are we turning to when we feel that life isn't quite right? Perhaps your partner. Perhaps you bear yourself in your work. Perhaps a bit of retail therapy. Turning to the conversation between the man and Jesus, who having fallen at the feet of uh, Falling at the feet of Jesus, he then goes on to ask uh, and um, address Jesus correctly. Good teacher, and asks a spiritually, seemingly so, good and earnest question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Going to win one there with Jesus. At this point, Jesus asks, actually, why call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Firstly, I have to fully admit, if any of my students that I teach ever come up to me and say, ah, oh, miss, you're a good teacher, I would say something along the lines of, well, it's very kind of you to say so, thank you. Whilst in my head, I'm doing a bit of this. <laughs> Give myself a bit of a pat on the back and go, oh, yeah. I'm not questioning them as to why they've called me good. So it seems at first glance that Jesus actually gives a bit of an odd response. But actually, if you look at the culture of the day, the title good was actually never applied to a rabbi. Only God was good, and he was only called good by the rabbis. The term good implied sinlessness, a complete 
goodness, i.e. God. Jesus, because he knew who he was, wasn't denying his deity here, but rather asking the young man to pause and check in with himself. Did he really know what he was declaring? I wonder when we say or sing that Jesus is King and Lord, that he is good, whether we fully appreciate what we're declaring and the personal cross that might bring. It becomes clear here that the young man didn't fully comprehend the enormity of who it was he was speaking to and what it was he was declaring. Jesus then proceeds to ask the young man if he knew the commandments and lists a bunch of them off. Do not murder, do not commit adultery. Now, question for you guys. Which commandments did Jesus leave out? I'm sure there must be one or two of you thinking, hold on a minute, what are the Ten Commandments again? Oh yes, this one's missed out. Keep the Sabbath. I'm sure that was in there somewhere. but <laughs> Don't have idols. Top marks over here. The first two commandments are that you should have no gods before me and that you should have no idols. The other two were Sabbath and uh, not uh, um, uh, using the name of God in vain. Unsurprisingly, Jesus is actually very intentional in the ones he missed out. He knows full well that the young man's heart was in his wealth. The young man wasn't putting God first in all things. And as the conversation unfolds, it becomes clear that the young man trusted his money and his wealth more than God. In other words, money and possessions had become his idol, which helps to explain why he was so grieved by Jesus' call to give all he had to the poor and then follow him. I wonder if we're really honest with ourselves whether we are so much different at times when it comes to money and possessions. Let me give you an example. Now, Oddly enough, at one point I was in my teens, uh, and my parents would give me five pounds pocket of money each week, out of which three pounds went to playing hockey, my match fees. Uh, yes, I did play hockey, and I was quite a keen player. Not so much anymore. Uh, basic maths would tell you, though, that I then had two pounds to spend however I wanted. Two pounds. My parents, being church leaders, would rather have me start tithing and giving at least 50 pence of that to our church. Did I give any away? No. I spent the two pounds usually on sweets and snacks for myself. Money had a hold of my heart. In case you were thinking you needed to be rich for money to have a hold. My dentist, consequently, now has hold of more of my money than I care to divulge. And the temptation to keep more of my wages for myself is still there as my income has increased. I'm sure many of you can relate. I found being intentional about giving really helpful in keeping money from having my heart. So moving on, we can see that Jesus loves this man but he is deliberately challenging the young man's allegiance because Jesus knows that only he is the source of life. He is the one who can quench this man's spiritual hunger and thirst and give the man life to the full. And Jesus deliberately challenges our allegiances too. 
as Billy Graham puts it, I think the slide was up a minute ago, whatever you love most, be it sports, pleasure, business or God, that is your God. We could add job, status, money, friends, family. They are all good things. But when they take the place of God, they become our idols, at which point they can quickly become hard and unforgiving taskmasters. We're never fully satisfied by these things, and we run faster and faster, work harder and harder to find that sense of worth and identity and security for our sense of dissatisfaction to be quenched. This was definitely true for me in the job that I had a few years ago. I was working harder and harder to be judged valuable and good at my job. I wanted that good, excellent status. The problem was it was at a high cost. My mental health, pushing my family and my friends away, avoiding spending time with God. Big issue. Um, I was a mess, deeply unhappy and not pleasant to be around. So the question Jesus asked of the rich young man is really the one he asked of me and asks of you, how much do you want to follow me? Are you willing to switch your trust and your allegiance from power, from people, from possessions? For me, it was, are you willing to give up your career, your power and status to follow him? As it happens, God didn't call me out of teaching, but he did lovingly demand I place my relationship with him as my top priority. I've not regretted that decision to follow the call of Jesus to change my allegiance, and it's not always been easy. I don't always get it right, and I have to check in with myself. So I asked you this morning the question I've asked myself repeatedly in preparation for this talk. What idol or idols do you need to lay down? What do you need to keep an eye on to make sure it doesn't become an idol? For me, it is my job. And I know when it's becoming my idol because I strive harder and find more value in it. I wonder what it is for you. As Jesus then turns to his disciples, he once again challenges the prevailing culture by saying that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, financial abundance in those days was seen as a blessing from God. In other words, the richer you were, the holier you were seen to be. If we want real treasure, that which will last, it's not going to come from money. Jesus' uncompromising stance on money and wealth is not a hatred of money, but rather out of a deep love for us. He wants us to be in right relationship with himself. He won't force himself onto the throne of our hearts, just like he didn't force the rich young man. If something else is there, though, he waits for us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to give that thing up, leaving the way clear for him to take his rightful place. See, the problem is... We're all susceptible to other things taking our attention away from God. Possessions, power, people. Jesus knows that material possessions tend to fix our hearts in the world. Power goes to our heads. The need for being around people all the time fills our diaries. And from experience, I can say that that is exhausting, even for an extrovert. 
all of these push God off the throne of our hearts, the place that is rightfully his to take, having given his one and only son in order that we might be in close relationship with him. You see, he wants us to be caught up in his kingdom. He wants us to be on board. He wants to change our families, workplaces, and communities for the better through us. He's calling and waiting for us to fully trust him in his love, in his goodness, his grace, and to follow him. But it demands a response from us. He needs to be our number one priority, the first in our heart. So whatever that idol is, it needs to be removed. It will be costly. Jesus is very clear on that. But if we want to see his kingdom come, if we truly want to see his kingdom come, he needs to be first in our hearts. So just before we we respond with communion, I'm just going to leave you with those questions again. What Jesus was asking of the rich young ruler, I believe he's asking of us today. How much do you want to follow Jesus? In other words, where is your allegiance? What's your weak spot? Is it possessions? Is it power? Is it people? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you and be honest with yourself and with God.